All right, if you have a Bible, um, we're going to be in Luke chapter 8. If you don't happen to have one with you, there should be one around you, and we'll be on page 561, and the one that is around you. Um, it has been a joy getting to know Eric and Erica over the last several months, uh, and I just wanted to fill in a little bit more uh, about their story. Um, after attending Providence weekly for a while, um, they decided to uh, attend Starting Point, which we have one of those today, so there's another plug for that. Um, but just as the Lord would have it in His providence that particular day, they were the only ones who were there uh, for Starting Point on that particular day. Sometimes we have one family, sometimes we'll have five families. This particular day, it was just them. And so we had a chance to just, you know, really have a good chance to, to talk uh, and get to know one another really well. And through that conversation, um, you know, we're, we're talking about what it means to be part of the church and um, how, you know, anybody and everybody's welcome to attend the church, but to be an actual member, uh, you have to be a believer. And so while we were talking about membership and that sort of thing, it came out that, that they had not yet believed um, in Christ, that they had heard the gospel a lot, had been thinking a lot about it, but they'd never truly um, given their life to Christ, and so we had the chance just right then to go through the gospel again and just talk about how all of us, everybody on the planet is a sinner, and we've all lived imperfect, sinful lives, but Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life, and then he laid that life down as a substitute payment and, and took the wrath that we deserve for our sin. Jesus took it in our place and suffered and died and paid the debt that we owed, and then in victory over Satan, sin, death, hell, and the grave, he rose again, and it proving to everyone that, that his, his substitute sacrifice was sufficient, that God had accepted it, and anyone who placed their faith in him would be saved. And so, you know, had a great conversation there, and um, they didn't, you know, repent and believe right then, but they, they, it was just a good conversation. But then on Monday or Tuesday, it got better because I got a call from Eric, and Eric said, hey, we've been just thinking about that a lot and praying about that a lot, and, and we, we want to meet with you and, and pray to receive Christ. And I said, well, buddy, if you want to pray to receive Christ, it's already happened. Jesus has already regenerated you. He's already given you faith. That absolutely, we, we can meet. And so on Wednesday, we met and we talked and we prayed. And then Eric and I set out um, meeting regularly, uh, going through six major sessions, just talking about, you know, what the what Christianity is all about. Um, and so we talked about, and then, and then he would take that home and he would tell Erica about it just to kind of make sure he understood what he was getting into, what this Jesus thing, what Christianity is all about. And so uh, we talked about the authority of Jesus. We talked about uh, his perfect life and his um, atoning death and his bodily resurrection. We talked about how uh, salvation is a gift of grace, not by works. And that, that grace comes to us through faith. And that faith is made up of repentance and belief. And as we talked about repentance, we talked a lot about how there's capital R repentance. And that's that, that moment in time where you repent and believe the gospel for the, for the very first time. Like you truly, the, the moment in time when you become a believer, that's capital R repentance. But then there's lowercase r repentance that's what we do for the rest of our life, where we're continually being reminded and being convicted of sin and repenting of that. So there's lowercase r that is a moment in time, one time 
this happens and you go from death to life and become a believer. And then there's lowercase r, that's repentance, that just continues on throughout the rest of your life. Now, hang on to that thought because I'm going to circle back to it in just a second because when we come to Luke chapter 8, um, this is the story of the four soils that Elizabeth just read. And as we read this, if you've got any, you know, if you listen to it there, you've got a background in church, you went to VBS or something, you may have heard this before. And it's about, you know, four types of people and how salvation, you know, comes to, uh, how, how, how salvation comes to those whose, whose soil is prepared um, and the seed falls on good soil and it sprouts up. Okay, and that's absolutely what we're going to be talking about today as we go through this. But it goes beyond that. It's not just about that. Because just as there's a capital R repentance, that's a one time, and then there's the lowercase r repentance that's continuing on, there's also the almost capital H hearing the word of God for the first time when you truly believe, and then there's the lowercase h hearing it for the rest of your life. And so this parable here is not like the application is not only uh, were you good soil uh, for the hearing of the word of God at a moment in time, all right, at the moment of salvation, but also are you good soil for the hearing of the word of God right now? Ongoingly. Like, how do you receive it right now? How do you receive the word? With the greatest test being like, in here, this moment, where every week the covenant members of this church gather together to hear a pastor declare the Word of God in a sacred moment. Where one of your pastors will stand in this place knowing that he will be held accountable, which is a heavy weight, for what he says, for how he leads you, how do you receive that word? Not just like how did you receive it in that moment in time, but today, how do you receive it? The Bible is full of warnings and the weight I have under God as a preacher. Luke 8 lays out the warnings and the weight that you have on you as a hearer. That is not something to be taken lightly. That not optional. It's not when it works in, that this is a weighty thing. I mean, the Scriptures are full of what all Christians are to do as followers of Christ. But like, the main one that you see, just read the book of Acts. Look in the Old Testament. The main one is the weekly gathering of the church to hear the Word preached. And so the call of this text, I mean, you can just look at it in verse 18 where it says, take care then how you hear. The call of this text is exactly that. Take care then how you hear. And that's kind of the big idea of the first section. And then Jesus is going to turn and make the connection that true hearing, though, always leads to true living. And so that's how we're going to break these two things, this text down. Number one, take care how you hear. And number two, take care how you live. And in particular, in the midst 
of the church. And so let's look at Luke 8. Uh, We'll pick it up in verse 1, uh, just so we can continue reading all of the book of Luke as we make our journey through. Chapter 8, verse 1, 561, around him. Soon afterward, he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. All right, this is right after he has forgiven the sinful woman we talked about last week. And the twelve who were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. And Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager. And Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. All right, They provided for them out of their means. And so th- this is what one of the things church members do. They're generous. All right, it, 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 it was true then. It's true today. It's what church members do. They give to the church out of their means. Verse 4. And when a great crowd was gathering and a people from, his, uh, from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed, and he sowed, and some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock. And as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. Some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. All right? He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And so number one, again, take care how you hear. And so, so what's going on here is Jesus has this great crowd uh, gathering. Up to this point, this is probably the biggest crowd that he's had uh, following him at any point in time. And it, it's, it's kind of like I expect Nolensville to be this coming Friday when we have our first ever football game for Nolensville High School. The town is going to empty and everyone's going to be at the football game. This is what was happening with Jesus. Whole towns were emptying to come and see him. And not just one town or two towns. It it says, um, and people from town after town came to him. They were emptying. They were coming. This is a huge crowd. And some of the parallel accounts of this, he gets in a boat and goes out into the lake because he can't, you know, he's trying to get his voice to distribute uh, across, you know, to, to this huge crowd that's with him. And so there's this huge people, this huge crowd before him. And Jesus knows that many, many are just coming to see this show. They they don't care about his mission. They don't care that his words are the words of life. They're just there for the pizza that the student pastor has. They're just there for the brunette. They think, you know, maybe I'll go and she'll, you know, and then they put on this facade of whatnot. They're just there to see a show. And so Jesus knows this, and so he delivers them a parable. That if they have spiritual ears to hear, they'll understand it. And if they don't, they won't. And so the parable is a story of a sower. It's a story of a farmer. I mean, I've talked about the farm I grew up on all the time. When when I was a kid, it had already been, my granddad had already died. We weren't doing cotton anymore. And it was uh, being leased out to folks who run beef cows on it. To this day, that family still runs beef cows on it. But we still had a really massive garden uh, and a field of peas 
and the field of corn, and I loved the field of corn because in the middle of it was a cherry tree, and when that thing got ripe, I would just climb up there and gorge myself till I was stained and sick, and it was awesome every year. And, and we had a, we had a two-row old-school John Deere corn planter. Just two, you know, we, we had an Alice Chambers tractor. We were Alice Chambers people. But we had a John Deere two-row corn planter. And, and that, you know, pulls behind it and puts the corn in the ground. But that's the, the sowing that they're talking about here is more like probably what you do when you overseed your lawn and you broadcast it. Maybe you crank it and it's throwing it out or you push it and it's spinning and throwing it. But when you have a bare spot, you probably just grab the seed and just kind of shake it onto, you know, the area you're trying to cover up. That's how this guy sows. He's got a handful of seed, and he's just shaking it all over the place, and it's going to land in you know, paths that are long, and it's going to land in good soil, it's going to land in hard soil, it's going to land where there's weeds and all sorts of things like that. That's, that's the parable that's going on here. And so, like I said, it's going to land sometimes, verse 5, um, along the path, trampled underfoot, birds devoured it, some on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because there's no moisture. Some fell among thorns, thorns grew up, choked it. Some fell on good soil, grew and yielded a hundredfold. End of parable. Right, that's the parable. And then Jesus declares, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. But a lot of people didn't have ears to hear. A lot of people didn't understand what he was saying in this moment, including the disciples at first, which thrills me. Because that makes me feel a whole lot better about myself. When I come to the Scriptures and I don't understand this, I'm like, oh, praise the Lord, the disciples didn't get it either. I'm okay. And so they ask him, Jesus, we're going to need some help with this. We're not sure what you're talking about here. And so then in verse 10, he hands down kind of a hard saying. And he tells him, to you, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others, they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Jesus is alluding here to Isaiah 6, and he's just saying, listen, God opens the ears of some people, and he doesn't others. That's why every single time the scriptures are taught, it has a softening effect on some people's heart, and it has a hardening effect on other people's hearts. I, I see it. People who are growing here in our church and people who leave our church. It's got a softening and a hardening effect at the same time. And that's not a fun thought, but it's a true one. Isaiah 6, Romans 9, and then even verse 18 here. Take care then how you hear, for to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. God has mercy on who he chooses to have mercy and he doesn't on those whom he doesn't. That's hard. That doesn't make sense. But it's what the Bible says. But let's keep going because Jesus is now going to explain to him. All right, I'm going to open it up. I'm going to tell you what it means. So verse 11. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Notice that. It's the word of God. It's not just the gospel. It's the word of God. And the seed is this. It's the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear it, receive it with joy. But they have no root. They believe for a while and in the time of testing fall away. They appear to believe at least. 
And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. And so let's just kind of walk through those four real quick. There's four distinct kinds of soil here. You've got the soil of hard hearts. You've got the soil of shallow hearts. You've got the soil of infected hearts. And then you've got the soil of good hearts. So we're going to make our way through those four. The first one then is the soil of hard hearts. And these are the people who have a hardened stance against any notion of God. People, people who have become distracted. They hear the word, but then the devil gives something to them that is at least seemingly uh, more instantly gratifying. And so they run headlong after that, even to the point of running off a cliff, chasing the illusion of a carrot that the devil is dangling before them. Like Wiley Coyote. That's what I picture. He's dangling a carrot, don't see the cliff, and just run right off of it after the illusion of whatever that carrot is in their life. And if you're not currently in that position of running after that illusion of whatever a carrot is in your life, you've been there before. Trying to effectively climb to the top of a two-foot ladder. Where life is just, you know, for many is no more than a ball game and a beer fishing pole or watching The Bachelor, shopping or some other God replacement. Others of us become hardened in a more sophisticated way. Won't listen to the truth of the Scripture because, well, how do we know this is true? This might be true for you, but it's not true for me. I mean, how can we know? I mean, there's no such thing as absolute truth, which falls on its face because that's an absolute statement. You can't make an absolute claim that there are no absolutes by using an absolute. Nobody wants to talk to a country bumpkin about epistemological issues. But you will hear a country bumpkin talk about the fact that I know what happens when there's hard soil and you want to plant a crop in it. You take a cutting hair to it and you bust it up and you chop it up and you make it soft and you make it plowable. And friends, that is what God does so often in our lives. Our hearts will become hardened, maybe to the gospel for the first time, or maybe you're a believer and it's just become hardened in this issue. And he'll plow it up and he'll bust it up. And that is grace. And it hurts sometimes. But it's grace. It's God busting things up so that he can pour his grace into your life. I've seen it over and over and over. Kent Hughes writes, difficulties make us quit our spirit-dulling busyness so that the Word of God can fall powerfully into the broken ground of our lives. And so if the first soil is hard hearts, okay, non-Christians, the second soil is shallow hearts. Look at verse 13. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and at a time of testing, fall away. And so these are the people who hear it and just have an emotional response to it, but that's all it was. Like, there's no way you can actually truly believe and then lose that. That's an impossibility. What you can have is the appearance of belief, and then you run away from that, and it's pure you never actually had it in the first place. 
And so that's what's going on here. They have an emotional response to it. This is a stereotype church camp kid who goes to church camp, has some type of spirit, has some type of emotional response to the gospel. They look like they believe, but they come home and lives are never changed. Ever changed. And it just proved it wasn't real. It was just emotion. A theologian helmet Felicity describes it like this. There is nothing more cheering than transformed Christian people. And there is nothing more disintegrating than people who have been merely brushed by Christianity. People who have been sown with and thousands of seeds, but in whose lives there is no depth and not rootage. Therefore they fall away when the first whirlwind comes along. It is the half-Christians who always flop in the face of the first catastrophe that happens because their dry intellectuality and their superficial emotionalism do not stand the test. So even that which they think they have is taken away from them. Now for sure, real faith is going to have emotion. It's going to have affections. Okay, An emotionless faith is at best a deformed faith. And at, at worst, it, it, it's, it, it's illegitimate. But true faith will dig down deep and build roots into the mind and into the heart. So you've got the soil of hard hearts. We've got the soil of shallow hearts. Let's look thirdly now at the soil of an infested heart. Look at verse 14. And as for what fell among thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life. And their fruit does not mature. These are the people who hear, but it's, it's, I mean, it lays it out pretty explicit. The cares and riches and pleasures of life become their driving ambitions in all of life, even if they wouldn't admit it, even if they wouldn't state it that way. It's how they live. These are cultural Christians. They grew up in church, they grew up around things. Maybe they live in the South. Yeah, I'm, of course I'm a Christian. Jesus is my co-pilot. I'm from the South. Daddy was a deacon. All these sorts of things. And honestly, these are the people who I go to their funeral or I have to preach a funeral and it's hard because I don't know. I don't know. They gave a profession of faith but they've not lived their life in keeping with that faith. I don't know. I mean, on the one hand, Scripture's clear. How much faith does it take to be saved? Mustard seed. That's tiny. But on the flip side, by your fruit, you will be known. And there's no fruit in these people's lives. I've never seen any fruit. And so here I am standing at a funeral, and I want to comfort a family, but I don't know. I don't know. And I don't want to give people false hope. You hope, but if you're going to be biblical and honest, probably not. Because they had no fruit in keeping with repentance. And so this category of infested hearts, cultural Christian, and this is rampant in the South. And this is rampant, if we're going to get real in here for just a minute, like I hope we do every Sunday, this is rampant in our family. People we know, who don't attend church. They say they believe in Jesus, but they're 
no evidence of it. And they're dying and going to hell because no one in here will lovingly confront them about that. No, no one in their family will lovingly just ask a question. Hey man, I love you, but I just want to check something. You, you say you're a Christian, but I, I just don't see it. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm missing something. And You don't need to come down and like throw the smack down, but like love people and speak truth in love. It's not just the things like of sin that can lead us astray. It's good things. J.C. Ryle puts it like this. He says, the things of this life form one of the greatest dangers which beset a Christian's path. The money, the pleasures, the daily business of the world are so many traps to catch souls. Thousands of things which in, them, in themselves are innocent become, when followed to excess, little better than soul poison. And helps to hell. Open sin is not the only thing that ruins souls. In the midst of our families and in the pursuit of our lawful callings, we have need to be on guard. Except we watch and pray, these temporal things may rob us of heaven and smother every sermon we hear. We may live and die thorny ground hearers. And so is this you. Is this you? Maybe capital H hearing the word of God. You've never truly hurt. You've never submitted. You've never repented. You've never believed the gospel. Or is this you? Lowercase h hearing. You are a believer, but but how do you approach the word now? Do, do you submit to it? Do you receive it gladly? Are you open to rebuke? Are you open to correction? Are you open to training all the things that the word says it will do? Second Timothy three. 16, it's profitable for all these things that the man of God might be equipped for every good work? Or are you more concerned with your 401k? With, with what Nana's having for lunch here in a few minutes? With whether UT or Vandy will win their first game next week? Or, or if it's Vandy, if they'll win a game. They're not winning September 17th. And if they do, I'm going to take it on the chin. But, I mean, seriously, some of, some of us are believers. But the way we approach the Word of God just now, day in and day out, as it's declared or as you read it, it's just monotonous. We just read it and we're, we're not moved by it. We don't listen to it. We don't obey it. We have a hard heart. Do, do you have a hard heart when it comes to the Scripture? Others of us may have a shallow heart. We, 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 don't, we don't want to do the hard work of listening to the truth to help us dig down deep. You just want, people, you just want me to tell stories, jokes, funny things, make you laugh, make you feel good, tickle your ears, and go home. And then some of us have infected hearts. We're so distracted by other things, by the world, by pleasures, by... Is this you? Do you take care how you hear? And some of this is, some of this is you, big picture. 
Again, you've never repented, capital R, and believed. But some of this, this is how you live functionally. Many Christians live like functional atheists. Do you? Do I? These are the words of life. And I would talk about last week, live like it. And so what are, if we're going to just get practical for a minute, what are some of the ways you can come prepared to hear well? To truly take care how you hear. Particularly in this moment here in, on Sundays. I ripped off a few ideas from another pastor, and I'm going to share a couple of them with you. One, you can pray. Pray that God would give you good and honest heart described in verse 15. We're going to talk about more in just a second. Two, meditate all week on the Word of God. Like you should be doing this as, as part of your quiet time, but also in preparation for Sunday, looking forward to Sunday, like an appetizer, getting ready for the main course. Three, purify your mind by turning away from worldly entertainment. I mean, if there are things that can distract us from the most important things, don't be distracted by this. I mean, does Game of Thrones, Dating Naked, or The Bachelorette stir your affections for Christ? Four, get a good night rest on Saturday night. Parents, you've got to teach your kids that Saturday night is not the night for staying out late. If they're going to have a night that's staying out late, that's Friday. Have a good night. But on Saturday night, I mean, it is a bad deal to teach your children that worship is so optional that it doesn't matter if you're exhausted when you come. Would you go into a college entrance exam like that? Would you go into an athletic competition like that? We work hard to get sleep before things that are important so that we are alert, so that we can hear, so that we can pay attention. And what's going on in this room is more important than a college entrance exam. It's more important than an athletic competition. And I'm all for academics. And I'm all for athletics. But I'm way more for Jesus. This is part of what it means. Take heed of how you hear. You take it serious. You come alert. You come prepared. You come to hear. Number five, come humble. Knowing that you've got a log in your eye, I've got a log in my eye, and we need to deal with our log before we point out specks in others. Six, come in a spirit of meek teachability. Not gullible, just believing everything that whoever stands here says just because they said it, but teachable. Willing to be corrected. Willing to be rebuked. Willing to be trained. Not with a chip on your shoulder. Church is no place for chips. The church is no place for swagger. Seven, be, like, come in here and think about what's going on. Come in here prayed, ready to receive. Like I, I love seeing us joyous and talking to one another. It's what a family does. Family loves to talk and be around one another. But as the worship begins, as the music begins, all those things, still your heart and zero in on what's going on in this room and, and focus. And think about what we're going to, the words. Don't just regurgitate the words that are on the screen. Think about them. Let, them. let them saturate your mind. I mean, for, for, for 1.5 hours out of 168 hours in a week, zero in. 
Those are just a couple of things you can do to come prepared. All right, just practical. <clears throat> to, to guard against being hard soil or shallow soil or infested soil. And instead, have a heart that's tilled and ready to be good soil. Like verse 15. And as for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. This is the soil of true Christians. We had kind of soil of non-Christians, of half-Christians, of cultural Christians. All of these are non-Christians. And this is the soil of true Christians. The seed lands in good soil and that God has produced, oftentimes by plowing up hard soil. We don't produce the good soil. Jesus does. God does. He, he, he prepares it and then plants the seed and He causes it to grow and it first produces the fruit of good character. The fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. And then that good character produces good works. Because true hearing moves to true living. And so just as we take care of how we hear, we also, and this is number two in your notes and much shorter, take care of how you live. All right, take care of how you hear. Number two, take care of how you live. Because verse 16, look at it with me. No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. He's talking about judgment there. Take care then how you hear. For to the one who has more, who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. Like the Pharisees thought that they had all, they thought they had a relationship with God, but they didn't. But the true ones, more will be given. Eric and Eric are newer in the faith and God is going to pour more into them for the rest of their life. But for those who think they have it but don't really, what even what they think they have will be taken. The Pharisees, there's nothing. Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, this isn't a slight to his mothers and brothers. This is the height of the church. He says to them, My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Like what Jesus is doing here is he's going ahead and kind of tipping his hat to the family of God, this new community that he is forming, the church, okay, the family of God. And that the family of God is made up of those who hear his word and do his word who take care how they hear, and who take care how they live. And part of this taking care of how we live means living in the context of the church. That, that if you are a believer, these are your brothers and sisters. These are your brothers. That's why I told Erica, you're my sister. That's why I told Eric, you're my brother. That's, that's what this, it's not just traditional brother, so-and-so and sister Sally. Like, this is legitimate. This is what it is. Like you've heard that, the, that, that blood is thicker than water. But in the church, the gospel is thicker than blood. Meaning that bare minimum, 
your devotion and love and care toward your brothers and sisters in here is equal to that of those in your earthly family. Bare minimum, if not heightened. That's how, that's what it means to be part of the local expression of the covenant community of God, of the church. I love the way Russell Moore puts it when he writes, a local church with all of its ridiculous flaws, amen, is an unveiling of the mystery of the universe. She's a one flesh union with Jesus such that, as in a marriage, everything that belongs to Him belongs to her. A congregation in covenant with one another as an assembly of Christ's people is a colony of the coming global reign of Christ. A preview of what His kingdom will look like in the end. That's how we live as the family of God. In community, and on mission. Because verse 16. This little lot of mine. We got to let it shine. That's what he's talking about here. That it is absurd. To have a you know to light a lamp. And put it under a jar. Or put it under a bed. But rather you put it on a stand. So that it can give light off to everybody. And that's what we're called to do. And sometimes that's going down to the juvenile justice center like about a dozen of you did yesterday. Sometimes that's going to Central Asia or Iquitos, Peru or the Dominican Republic. Sometimes that's going across the street and having your Muslim or pagan neighbor over for dinner. And sometimes that's just inviting someone to church. Like, think about this. They, they, Eric and Erica talk, spoke to it. When Jeff Williams invited them to church, that's not a big deal. Hey, you, you, why don't you guys come to church? That's not a big deal. I mean, that's the most low-hanging fruit we could ever have. And that simple invitation has changed eternity for them. Eternity. And so folks, take care how you hear. Come open, come ready, come willing, come expectant, and take care how you live in community and in mission with the church. We do this for the glory of God, the good of our neighbors, and our own ever-increasing joy. Father, I thank You that You do plow, that You do bust up hard ground. I thank You that You busted up hard ground in my own life. I thank You that You busted up hard ground in so many others' lives. And Lord, I pray that if there's hard ground, strike that, I pray for the hard ground that is in this room right now, both from the sense of needing to capital R, repent, as well as lowercase r, repent, that You would plow that hard ground and do Your work. For Your glory. And for the good of those who need to call unto Yourself. And Father, I thank You for the church and what I pray that as a church, we here at Providence would love one another as brothers and sisters truly. Not in name, not in tradition, truly. That our care and our burden for one another would be like that.
But our concern would be to that degree. And that when we see one another, it's like gathering with family that we love. Family that we're concerned. Family that, when needed, we'll ask a question to, a hard question. But it's driven out of love. Not driven out of a chip on the shoulder. Not driven out of judgmentalism. But driven out of love. Help us to be that community here. And help us to see. Holy Spirit, convict us if to see what kind of soil we are in an ongoing way. Are we hard? Are we shallow? Are we infested with other things? And help us to repent and beg you to make us good soil that's ready to hear, that's ready to receive. Plow us up, God. In your name we ask.